church, this is my friend Dylan, and I am so grateful to have him here this morning. I'm going to pray for you, Dylan, and then I'm going to get out of the way and let you allow the Lord to lose you, use you. God, thanks for Dylan. Thank you for Aubrey. Thank you for their boys. Thank you for this space that you've provided Dylan today to lead us in your word. Father, I pray for Dylan as he brings forth your word today, that you would use him, help us to encounter you today through your active, living, holy, inspired, true, entire word. And Father, I pray that you would change our lives today as we encounter you, that nothing about us would be the same. I pray that Dylan would have fun today, use his gifts that you've given him and the unique voice that you provided with him, uh, for him to, uh, to share in ways that matter and make sense. And I pray that the words of his mouth and meditations of our hearts be received as a gift, holy and pleasing to you alone, our rock and redeemer. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you very much to Reach Church. It is not an accident, even though I didn't really plan it when we said November 4th, but this week actually is the ninth anniversary of we were in Yakima, Washington, as Andrew had said. They had moved to Minnesota. I was a transplant out to central Washington. I'm actually from uh, Marshalltown, Iowa, but God began to stir in me, hey, you need to go plant a church. You need to go to Marshalltown and plant Restore Church. Well, nine years ago was the first time I hopped on a plane to come in front of the governing body of the groups of churches we were a part of and to get approval for the planting of this church. And there was no better place to stay than with Andrew and Stacy. So it's funny how the Holy Spirit will bring these things together, bring dates to mind that you hadn't even thought of, and put you in places where those things come together. I also want you to know, yes, I have preached here. We've done some uh, men's ministry together at different points, but I've also just been here during the week to connect with Andrew. And this is what I know about Reach Church is I've always felt at home. From the moment that even when I'm still in Marshalltown planning trips, the emails, the calls, everything makes me feel like I know what's going to happen, and I know where I'm going, I know what I'm doing. And I'll tell you, as a tourism director, really focused on hospitality now, if biggest thing that get people wigged out is if they don't know what they're doing or where they're going. And Reach, you do a phenomenal job of that, and I want to highlight Terry specifically really helping uh, just getting everything set up. So let's give Terry a round of applause. But the cool thing is I have not been in vocational ministry for three and a half years. I'm a tourism director now. The resume is getting very, very weird, but the calling is the same. Thank goodness Romans tells us that the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. So no matter who pays me, my calling is the same, to connect people to the glory of God and to connect people for the glory of God. And that's what we want to do here this morning. And the rule of thumb is, in public speaking, is immediately you want to win the audience over. You want to grab them onto your side, especially if you're a guest speaker. You want them to be with you. So in light of that, in the spirit of that, we're going to start out with each and every one of you are wrong. And I'll tell you why in a few minutes. But let's dig into the word in Galatians 5, 23, we've already been there. We'll be there here for another second or two. So Galatians 5, as Paul writes to the church at Galatia, we have pretty famous words. Many of us uh, have them memorized. 
And at least this morning, we are familiar with them. And this is what Galatians 5, and 23 says. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patient, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Amen? Amen. Handful of years ago, Mark Wahlberg's daily routine was put out in Men's Journal. He did an article with them, and it just hit. How many people remember Mark Wahlberg's routine going around? Handful of us. Give you the highlights of it. This was his daily routine. He had it mapped out from 2.30 in the morning till 7.30 at night. At 2.30, you wake up. 2.45, prayer time. 3.15, breakfast. Workout for an hour and a half. Workout meal. You shower, and he gave himself an hour and a half for a shower. I don't know if he had to travel to it, if he had to get a connecting bus. I'm not sure what he was doing. All the way down, he had cryo chamber recovery. He had family time and phone call time. Then he went back for another workout, and he was tucked in all snug and as a bug in a rug in his room by 7.30. Immediately... I know in me, is like, holy cow, this dude has self-control. This is the definition of self-control. And you get into that, it's like, man, if you want to feel bad about yourself, read that agenda, because that is intense. How in the world? But you look at that, and you're like, oh, my goodness. That must be, if I could just do that, man alive, the spiritual fruit in my life, man alive, all of this would just blossom, blow up, and be incredible, right? If we could do this, who woke up at 2.30 today? I did because there was a five-footer kicking me in the back at my friend's house as we stayed, and that five-footer is my youngest, Xavier Doe's. But beyond that, I don't normally wake up at 2.30. And I was just looking at this schedule. I was like, you do that every day. Now, maybe there aren't Mark Wahlberg fans, but uh, if a 1980s wrestling fan is the ultimate warrior was a big deal for like three or four years, and he was jacked. There wasn't an ounce of body fat. This is how controlled he was. He was in catering one time. No sugar ever touched this guy's mouth. And what he did, he saw chocolate chip cookies, and this was uh, through another party who watched him do this, saw him go over there, he took the chocolate chip cookie, smashed it up into dust, sniffed it, and then threw it away. How many of you have ever done that to avoid sugar intake, but to get that delicious smell of Toll House morsels in your nostrils? See, we get these examples, and they're insanely, insanely next level. But what I find is, man alive, I am ADHD to a hilt, and I have the most intention, and I can get some days together, I can start getting a routine going, and then I see a squirrel. And I was like, ah, I remember I wanted to do that, and then I forgot about this other thing. It was pretty, it was fun, it was a, a next thing along. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, you have the best intention. You want to do it over and over again, yet there's others of you, a.k.a. Aubrey Doe's my wife of 17 years, that has calendars upon calendars upon calendars, and God bless her, but she's married to me, so often she says these words, did you check the calendar? 
And I've, after 17 years, you don't have to, you don't have to say, oh, I'll do better next time. I was like, you know who you married. That's not happening. I'll, I've tried my best. It's just, we got to get a different system. But what I find is what we hold on to as self-control, what we believe to be self-control, the fruit of self-control, really ends up devolving at the end. There is not batting a thousand. There isn't a hundred percent field goal percentage. There isn't a hundred percent winning percentage. It always devolves on one side of the highway or the other side of the highway. Really self-control is what I would say devolves into white knuckle or white flag. White knuckle or white flag. Just think about that. You have this white knuckle thing that I'm just going to try harder, do better, and if I just hold on tight enough, I'll make it through. If I get up early enough, I'll make it through. If I put in enough scripture words in my mind and just keep pushing and doing good things, but just holding on by my self-power, I will make it. A 97% is an A in the classroom, but in the kingdom... There's 3% failure there. It's not the perfection. It's not the thing that you want. So maybe if you're built a little bit more like my wife, you are locked into that white knuckle. You are trying without, with every fiber of your being to be perfect. Yes, the scriptures say my burden is light and my yoke is easy, but self-control says I've got to figure this out on myself, by myself, for myself, so God will love me or so I will grow. Then the other side is, man, I have tried over and over. I get a good momentum and then I mess up. Why do I keep trying? This is just a gift that doesn't come naturally to me. This is just a gift that isn't for me. And honestly, when Andrew asked if I wanted to preach last week or this week, I chose this week, namely because with self-control, I think sometimes the best preaching comes out of struggle. The best preaching, the best teaching comes out of when you don't, you're not a natural at it and you've had to dig into it, wrestle with it. And that's true for me. Self-control, again, ADHD, lust for life, want to grab Grab this world by both arms, which I was an octopus, so I could grab it with eight arms. That's how I view life. But getting to this point is, if I'm failing by white knuckling it, if I'm failing by white flagging it, what happens? Shame. Why am I not better? Why can't I figure this out? Why did I mess up again? Why, why, why? And when you start to question, how did I mess up? Why did I mess up? Why do I continually mess up? There's something that happens. You think it's humility, but you are the center of your universe when you're locked into shame, and it's actually pride. It's actually self-focused pride because you're not looking at loving God or loving others. You're, why am I not doing this well enough? Anybody seen the movie Tommy Boy? All right. So Tommy Boy is the central theme of this message. So in the beginning of the movie, if, for those of you know, great. If you don't know, we'll get to the point. But 
Tommy Callahan was at Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He was on the seven-year plan. And it came to, it was time for him to graduate. But he had to take this test. And of course, somebody that takes seven years, more of a rugby player and a partier, alarms aren't their focus. Well, he wakes up and he realizes he is late. So he is sprinting across campus, except for a pause to say hello to the ladies. But he just is sprinting, sprinting, sprinting. He gets to the building and he starts to yank on the door to get in and it's locked. He's like, oh no, angry, sits down. Young lady walks next to him, just opens the other door right beside and walks on in. Hopefully this is the core of that message is that you've been white flagging it or white knuckling it and you are just banging on the door or you've given up on the door and you are over the moon frustrated with yourself and questioning maybe God isn't capable of giving me freedom, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Maybe it's just some of them. But I want you to see this message as someone just looking at it a different way and just opening the door. And quickly after she opened the door, Tommy goes right behind her. You know, some things can be just super easy and right in front of our face, but we've learned stuff through Bible studies, maybe preaching, maybe culture, maybe stuff we've read. But really, if you look at the Bible, it's super simple. Here's the reality. I'm gonna blow your mind. Self-control is a fruit. Self-control is a fruit. We treat self-control as the roots and the soil in which fruit comes. That's not what Galatians says. Now, intention, routine, focus, incredibly important. They do help your life. But self-control is not described as a catalyst. It's described as a fruit. How many of you ever have read Galatians 5? Yeah, love, it's an overflow. Peace, it's an overflow. You get to self-control and you're like, that's how I get all the other stuff. If I'm just more self-controlled, then I get the fruit. It's not biblical. It's the antithesis of biblical. It's the opposite of what God has for us. That the fact is self-control is a fruit. You can breathe. And for those of us, just to make it really straightforward, fruit is the result or reward of work or activity. See, when you look at that, it's the result or the reward of activity. It is not the work. It is the result of the work. It is the thing that points to us. It is, the, it is the gift that God gives on the backside of it all. See, the, the reality is, if we understand self-control as a fruit, we get to the foundation of who God is. This may seem really simple to you, and it may seem inconsequential. What does it matter if self-control is the catalyst or the root or self-control is the fruit 
of what we do. Well, I put a tattoo on my arm a couple years ago, and it's from Zechariah 4.6, which is one of my life verses. I have a couple. Simply says, not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. See, if you see self-control as the catalyst for getting the fruit of the spirit, you immediately don't understand the gospel. You immediately don't understand grace. You immediately don't understand what makes Jesus unique and what makes Jesus supreme and all-sufficient. Is because you think you are the bridge to get where you are to where God wants you. And it really comes down to if you think your faith will either be the result of trying to white-knuckle something or white-flag something, you are going to crash. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And depending on your personality and your context, your crash will look different. My personality, I always say I get way more credit and way more blame than I deserve. Everything is fireworks with me. It may be good, it may be bad, but it's visible. Others of us are under the radar. Like our good stuff, it supports everything. Our bad stuff, nobody really sees. But I'll tell you, if you, we don't get this idea that self-control is a fruit, not a catalyst, we miss out ultimately on what God has for us. I now want to jump into maybe the story in the scriptures that may be one of two of the most incredible pictures of self-control. We are met early on in the gospel of Matthew. Jesus has just been baptized. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We get this beautiful picture of the Trinity. We get this beautiful picture in the physical form that the disciples could see of the three distinct persons in one perfect unity, the triune God, the God that we worship, the God who exists in love because he's in community and he reflects that in the church. It's the best example of what we have of the Trinity in this human form, in this kingdom perspective. Many different individuals work for one common unity through the power of the Holy Spirit. We see Jesus, he's overflowing. John the Baptist has said words like, I must become less so he can become more. All these things have happened and now Jesus steps into ministry and where does he go? The desert. And that's where we pick up the story. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. And I want us, through this mindset, to look at these words of Jesus, look at the actions of Jesus, look at the posture of Jesus, and think to yourself, is Jesus gripping super tight, you know, like where your hand just hurts, where you think, I might have arthritis, didn't before, but now I do, and I can't open my hand, or that white flag that you have just, you're defeated. Jesus is just defeated, waiting for the worst thing to happen. Or do you see Jesus living out of the overflow of what's just shown to us in Matthew 3 at his baptism as he goes through? 
So again, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told them, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he says, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. There we see Jesus' interaction, and one of the ways that I want to extend an olive branch uh, that Andrew said last time that I, I may have said something about the Cornhuskers. I may have, not going to today. I may have uh, highly promoted the Hawkeyes. We're dead, but we're buried in first place in the Big Ten West, and I'm not going to say that. But I will say, today we're not going to go by points, and I know we've already gone through one. Hopefully you caught it. But we're going to go by rules. So the second rule that I have for you today is that self-control is a fruit of abundance, not abstinence. I want you to feel that in the core. Self-control does not come out of lack. It comes out of an abundance. What does John 10.10 say? The thief comes, the devil comes to kill, rob, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and life more abundantly. Self-control is not a detour from the gospel of grace, restoration, redemption, holistic health. It's not a detour. It is a part of it. So even when we see the work of Jesus here, he is coming out of the overflow, the abundance of the Holy Spirit pouring into him and him going out into the desert. He was led by the Spirit. All of his reactions come out of abundance. They do not come out of abstinence. It's not simply saying no. Actually, it's saying yes to something much greater. In the world of addiction, one of my best friends on the face of the earth uh, was uh, a youth pastor for me for a long time, and now is a, a lead pastor at a church we pastored out in Yakima. And he uh, became, uh, he came clean, he uh, overcame his addictions to drug and alcohol when he was 20 years old. The joke with him is he never drank legally a day in his life. He got clean before it. But as he talked about his addiction... He talked about really all sin is addiction. And the role that sin does, what the devil does, is he separates, isolates, and destroys. 
He tries to get your life as small as possible, and the way to overcome that is to bring the beautiful community and make your life as big as possible. And now this was confirmed in a study a few decades ago called Rat Park. And there was this belief that drug addicts will always stay drug addicts because they can't make good choices. And so they did this study on rats that they put a water bottle in a cage and they put a water bottle laced with morphine in a cage and every single rat drank the morphine-laced water every single time and ended up starving because they were so addicted and forgot about food. So the conclusion was, if you're addicted, you can't make it out. Well, the reality is rats are communal creatures. They thrive best in community. They are linked to community. And when they built Rat Park, where everything was awesome for rats and they had those same two bottles, guess what the rats did? They drank the water. That is what this whole gospel life is about. That's what this whole thing is about. And you may say, well, Jesus went out to the desert by himself, but he didn't go by himself. He went out of this call of God. The Holy Spirit went with him. He had the community behind him, his father behind him. And when he hit the desert, now we often think of self-control as donuts and do better, but it's actually bigger than that. It hits at the closer points of how we're created. And when we see Jesus go out there, we see rule number three, that the three major areas that reveal self-control are in the physical, the relational, and the positional. Where's the first place that Jesus is challenged? You're hungry, aren't you? You need food, right? Well, why don't you just, we'll turn these stones into bread. And I don't know about you, but when you are hit for self-control, when you're locked in for self-control, you know if you're hungry, cheeseburger looks pretty good. You know that diet will be thrown off if you find that cheeseburger, right? Or if we really think of when it comes into our bodily things, it's not just food, right? This is where all the lusts of life come from. This is where greed comes from. This is where sexual addiction comes through. This is through sexual idolatry comes through. This is where porn addiction comes from. This is where all of that comes from is that challenge of your self-control in the physical. Jesus very succinctly, because he's so immersed, so one with God and the Holy Spirit, he just quotes scripture back at him. No, I'm not going to give up this little, this momentary thing for the big thing. See, God, as he is, we can't live on bread alone, but live by the word of God, is Jesus knows there's so much more than this little momentary choice that actually takes away from being fulfilled. And for those of you who are married, you know how the Bible says you can flee sexual immorality within the covenant of marriage? Corinthians says, have more sex. It comes out of abundance. It's not out about just trying to hold on. It actually comes out of the overflow of God has so much more for you that why would you settle for something so minuscule and so fleeting? 
And then we have that second piece of relational. I think it's really, really interesting that the devil says that, why don't you just throw yourself off of here? Because guess what? God will save you. You're good enough. And I think sometimes we almost challenge God as like, does God even care? If I threw myself off of here, if I failed, does God even bat an eyelash? Do I have value? See, this is where self-control gets hit. Is, well, what does it matter? God doesn't even care. And when we're in good spots, it seems so ridiculous. But when you're struggling and that self-doubt Do I even matter? Does God even care? That really becomes a struggle. But you see, immediately, Jesus knows who he is. He knows what the relationship is. He is secure in this relationship. And easily, he's able to reflect on Scripture and say, No, we ain't doing this. I am not going to test God just to prove to myself that he loves me. I know that he loves me. I know that he's there for me. Why would I do that? All right, so when the physical doesn't work, when the relational doesn't work, let's go to positional. It worked in the Garden of Eden. It worked on Adam and Eve. And so, so he takes them up and he has them look at everything. And this is, you know, from the outside, this is just the most ridiculous statement. He just was baptized by, and his father said, you know, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And we know through scripture that God created the heavens and earth through the word of God, who is Jesus. We get all of this. So Satan says, all right, you can have all of this if you bow down to me. You can have power over everything. I will tell you in the American church And in those of us that make enough money that life is fairly good, we have some clout, we have some position, the promise of power is the most intoxicating drug that we have in the United States. And we will sacrifice theology, we will sacrifice Christian response, we will sacrifice a lot of Christ-likeness if there's an opportunity to sit in a place of power. And here Jesus has offered that. But again, he turns it around. Why? Because he knows on the other side that God has something much better for him. What Satan has tried to sell, he doesn't own the lease. He doesn't have a lease on it. He doesn't own anything about it. He doesn't have the power to give it, but he's still selling it. Why? Because Satan's a liar and most of the things that we often process in our brain come out of lies because Satan just wants to hit us with things. But as we look at this response, I hope that you're seeing that we do not see a Messiah that is trying to white knuckle this. We do not see a Messiah when he is Hungry, alone, struggling, being willing to sacrifice the immediate for the bigger, more abundant picture. And I hope that you see in him that he isn't doing this just because Jesus is better than you or better than us. He isn't just saying, well, I don't need to do this. I'm all God. No, he relies on the things that we're called to rely to. And here's, and this is coming from a real spot in my own real story that Jesus 
quotes scripture, that should be really comforting because as you have scripture, as we read scripture, as we engage in scripture, do you know that all scripture is true regardless if you feel it at the moment? All scripture has power regardless if you feel powerful in the moment. All scripture dictates the move and the abilities of the devil even if you don't think it does. So if you get locked into that, if you get... If you get locked into that, that really has the power to free you. That really has the power that you don't have to give into things. So the result of this, in the process of this, I, I, I love how Andy Minio says it. And of course, uh, I'm, a, I'm a kid of the 80s and 90s, so I always look to hip hop for life advice. And in this case, Andy Minio is a Christian hip hop guy, so it works. But he says... Here is the paradox of Christian living. You must give up control of self to gain self-control. It does not come by trying more and more on yourself, but it happens when we think and give ourselves over to who Jesus is. So I want us to think through this. This is the final rule that I have for you. But I want you to own this. I want you to feel this as freedom. I want you to feel this in the core of yourself to release you from this white-knuckled or white-flag life where you're either trying too hard that you have no joy, peace, patience, or kindness, or you have given up that you are drifting from God because you think, what's the point? I'm going to fail anyways. This is the promise I want to give to you. Is that you can release your grip you can lower the flag and you can lean into his faithfulness. There will be points in your life that are marked by great fruit, that you are killing it, that God is doing incredible things in you and through you. There are going to be points in your life that you are faithful, that you are walking in step with God. That when God tells you to do something crazy, you go quickly do that something crazy. When God tells you to give half your paycheck, you know what? You know God's in it, so you give half your paycheck that time. You know there's going to be seasons in your life where you are fearless. That the power of God in you is overwhelming. I want to tell you, there is also going to be seasons in your life where you are a complete and utter failure where you are fearful, where you are broken, where you cannot do what God wants, no matter how hard you try, you have just failed over and over and over and over again. There are gonna be points in your life that you are a flame out. Nine years ago, I came home with as much passion, power, and energy, and clarity to plant a church that I knew God was gonna use. Three and a half years ago, I flamed out, fell apart, and was broken. I couldn't put one foot in front of the other. I was so sideways just trying to figure out and broken that I couldn't. Those four steps might as well have been four miles. Never could have made it there. I definitely told Andrew I was never preaching again. I just wanted to know, find God again. I wanted to know if I could trust God again. 
and just one foot in front of the other, I wasn't worried about me being awesome. I was worried about me just being a dad and a husband. See, if we're totally relying on our ability to white knuckle or white flag, you will fail. And when you fail, there's nothing there because you are not the savior of the world. But here's the beautiful thing. Because God comes out of a spirit of abundance, self-control comes out of the spirit of abundance. Again, Reach Church, you have meant more to me than you know. One year ago, Andrew, and I know many of you know Russ Cowanhoven. It was Russ, Andrew, and I. I was like, I need to talk to you guys. I feel like God is allowing me to do some stuff. And we talked about it, and I had the list, notes, and, and 95% is like, God's really moving. I think I can preach again. I think I can do this again. And I'm feeling really good. About hour, two hours in that conversation, I go, yeah, but I definitely couldn't do that again. Definitely, definitely not for me. That, that season's in the rear view. And Andrew looked at me and said, yeah, stop that. That's not a God. You've got to give yourself grace and move on. You've got to come to the other side. And it was in those moments, in those stories that I have told Andrew different dreams that I have for the future that start to come moving forward. Last week, I preached at Restore Church for the first time in three and a half years. And that comes not because I'm awesome, not because I've done so well at self-control along the way that I am just making it through. No, it's because of the grace of God and the filling of the Spirit and the Spirit giving gifts as an overflow of His indwelling in us. And because of that, my self-control is not based on me, but it's based on the Holy Spirit being alive and active in me. So I'm a person of pictures, and, and so as we close, I'm gonna have us close our eyes, I'm a person of picture, but I also don't like it to be weird where people are looking at each other. So, but I want us to close our eyes and I want us to think through our definition of self-control, of our thoughts of self-control. And I want us to ask God, I want you to start feeling your hands. Are you a person that is trying to accomplish self-control through white knuckling it? Are your hands tired? Are your fingers cramping? Is your spirit dry? If that's you, I want you to do me a favor. Just open up the palm of your hands. Stretch your fingers. Allow God's grace to fill your hands. Allow God's grace to massage your joints so they're no longer cramping. Allow God's grace just to fill your hands to overflowing. For my fellow white flags, I want you to think as you look up at that flag, as, as you picture yourself just with the pulley system, just putting that flag up, I want you to think it's not all on your shoulders. You're not earning the grace of God. You are receiving the grace of God. And out of that, 
you will be able to look more like Christ. It's not about batting a thousand. It's about leaning into God's faithfulness because that is what will see us through. I want you in your mind to bring that flag down, to fold it up and to put it away. And now I want all of us to simply think of how faithful God has been to you in your life. He was faithful enough to bring you to the cross. He was faithful enough to allow you to proclaim Jesus' victory on the cross. He is faithful enough to see you through marital struggles. He's faithful enough to see you through when you have a wayward kid. He's faithful enough when you lose your job. He's faithful enough when the math doesn't math in your checkbook. He's faithful enough when he's given you much but hasn't given you arrogance. He's faithful enough for each and every one of us to live the life fully overflowing with all the fruits of the Spirit. And our prayer is gonna be Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against the, such things, there is no law. I wanna thank you, Lord, for our time together. I wanna thank you for each person here. May the knuckles, may you release that tension. May the white flag be put away and may your faithfulness be what we cling to. In your name we pray, amen.